All right, hello and welcome to the first official episode of the Jack Calisthenics podcast. So we're here, we're here to demystify the ambiguousness of calisthenics training and kind of get rid of the whole bro science approach to calisthenics training. So I'm here with Raphael Paz and he's going to tell us a bit about himself, tell him a bit about how to program for calisthenics. So Raphael, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, thank you. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, calisthenics programming and all that, but um, why should calisthenics athletes sort of listen to what you have to say today and what's your experience with calisthenics in general? Okay, so I've been doing uh, calisthenics for about uh, six years now and uh, training uh, dedicatedly for more than a decade. Um, why should people listen to me? I guess people resonate to the fact that I'm, I'm maybe not the most genetically gifted, youngest, um, lightest, um, best built suited to the sport. But, um, you know, with a wise approach and uh, perseverance, you know, I got to where I am and people maybe resonate with that and uh, and they want to follow along and, and you know, make it possible. I, I think that I speak to what I used to call it as the average Joe and not to the elite of the most gifted athletes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To, to be honest, yeah, I kind of feel similarly. Um, I feel like a lot, a lot of the reasons why um, people sort of like my content as well, um, the Jack Vegan on YouTube is because I'm not typically genetically gifted. I am built, but you know, that's just because of just like you, you said like decade in training. Yeah. I think I'm almost coming up to a decade in training. Um, and yet it's not that I'm genetically gifted. It's just kind of, I could just kind of put my head to the ground and just work hard and try and figure it out. Um, and we're going to try and, uh, explain to the audience today, kind of what we've both figured out about calisthenics programming. So let's hop right into that. So, um, Quickly, we're going to just talk about general kind of programming and principles. Then we're going to go into a bit more about the beginners, for, like the specifics for beginners and intermediates and advanced athletes, because those are probably going to differ a tiny bit. But first, let's talk about, in general, the, the calisthenics programming. So, um, so in general, how should people train for calisthenics skills and strengths? And what's your general philosophy or method around training for calisthenics skills? Okay, so... Calisthenic skills, uh, most of them are uh, strength-based. That's the limiting factor, which is strength and, and not a certain... Yes, there's technical aspect to every exercise, and it is, it's, a, it's a spectrum, and you have exercises that are more skill-based and exercises that are more... or skills that are more strength-based. But um, generally, you should build strength, um, you know, and through the basic patterns, and uh, mostly for beginners, uh, and then you should, you know, just pursue that as as your main um, process, your main journey. And uh, I think that uh, just the terminology of calling an exercise like a skill, it uh, reflects how people view training. Also, attempt. I, I am attempting plants. I am attempting instant push-up. You know, you're lacking strength, possibly. 
There's no attempt about it. It will not happen if you will magically just fall into a plank with the legs in the air. You either have sufficient strength or you don't. So you should, you know, the base of your training should be devoted to building strength in the basic patterns and then building that pyramid up. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, what I'm hearing is uh, build that foundation and go from there. And almost everything is a strength game. It's not technically about doing attempts and doing this and that. It's about building the strength. And once you have the strength, you can do the skill. What are some general strength principles uh, everyone can follow? So even if you're a beginner, even if you're advanced, intermediate, what's some general principles? So we started off with, okay, you need that foundation. Um, and it's a strength gain um, to do these skills or to do whichever move. It's going to require, you know, some kind of strength. Um, we're, we're generally not talking about, you know, endurance moves or anything like that. We're generally talking about strength skills. Um, so what are some general strength principles that people can follow? Okay. Um, first of all, it should be uh, specific with your training. Uh, weightlifting is different from powerlifting is different from uh, calisthenics and um, you know and you will devote uh, hopefully um, the time to acquiring the the strength and the skills that are necessary for your own practice and we talked about the foundation or the base and obviously the base is different depending on your activity it will be different for football basketball and calisthenics so specificity is king, um, whether that's push-ups, handstands, and um, pull-ups, chin-ups, and so on. And uh, once you have that, um, obviously you, you get better at what, what you do and what you do more of, and that is specificity. Um, I think that people should um, gravitate towards um, overload. So usually seeking exercises that are hard. Okay, and train for the difficult. There's mm -hmm. a, a new phrase, train for the difficult. I think that what stands behind it is that it should not feel easy. And if it's hard, it's probably rewarding. Um, and, you know, if we're talking more practically uh, within training sessions, we are speaking more of the compound movements or what I also refer as to the complex movements in calisthenics, because some calisthenic movements are technically single joint, so they're not compound, but they do have high neurological engagement uh, due to their uh, instability or complexity. So technically, a freestanding handstand push-up is the same pattern as a wall-assisted handstand push-up, but it's much more complex, thus engaging the central nerve system also, uh, recruiting more muscle fibers and so on. So generally seeking, lifting more and through compound and complex exercises and not the isolation necessarily. And wherever you can usually lift more weight, it hints of the amount of muscle mass that is recruited, engaged in the movement. And that's generally a good thing. Uh, recruiting more muscle mass, so mm -hmm. doing the, the, the basic compound movements. Besides that, I would say third will be the um, stress management. So, you know, training hard 
We talked about that and then making sure that you are recovering. So you have some basic splits like, um, you know, one day on, one day off, full body uh, type of stuff. It makes sense because you train and then you follow that up with one full rest day. And for most people, it works well. Um, so you have to manage stress. If you will train, you know, every day, uh, very, very, I'm talking about like fully stimulating workouts. Maybe it will work for beginners, but at a certain stage, you have to promote recovery. So I would say those three things are the biggest principles. It's the specificity, then it's the overload, and then comes the stress management. management. Yeah. Okay, that's brilliant. Yeah, those three strength principles, I also recently learned about them um, a couple months ago and implemented them into my training. Of course, just starting off with the simple ones and then trying to get more complex because as you do add more, you want to kind of focus on a few, kind of master those and then add the other ones to kind of optimize. But yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's what you've said here has kind of brought up a load of questions in my head. Um, I think the first one is regarding the progressive overload um, strength principle. So I know in the calisthenics community or street workout community, a lot of people you know, really have high motivation to get skills. They're very passionate in, in this community. Like, I really want the planche. I really want full planche. You know, that's why we train like literally two, three, four years, maybe more to get some of these skills. So a lot of people want it so bad that they end up training very, very hard, um, almost ignoring that third principle you talked about, stress management. They don't manage their stress and um, focus on recovery. So what would you say is, uh, how would you know that you're progressively overloading enough and not overdoing it. Okay, so not overdoing it. And you have some um, uh, glaring uh, symptoms, I would say, for overtraining, overdoing it. And I really generally believe that uh, the body, it sends you enough hints, enough signals for you to pick up. And you have to be quite, um, you know, neglecting to really found yourself at the point of sincerely overtraining. Okay. So it's not like uh, it's an accumulative thing. It not, it doesn't build up overnight. Okay. It's, you have time. And uh, the symptom usually for some people, you know, depends on the person. It can be actually uh, demotivating. So you don't want to train, you lack motivation, you don't have that zest in you, that spark. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Anyone who trains know that some days you have it. So lacking the spark, that's one thing. That's maybe more neurologically. And um, But physically, you will start feeling some, uh, some maybe uh, aches and pains building up in your joints. Usually that's where it happens. Uh, a lot of calisthenics exercises uh, really come up to about and joint integrity and uh, joint health. So you'll feel the wrist and the elbows and the shoulders start speaking to you. Uh, and uh, those are uh, glaring uh, symptoms. And if you have that, you know that you should dial back training a little bit. And, um, and I would say that even beforehand, if you are not able to progress, you might 
you know, that is the outcome of possibly already doing too much because you're not recovering, thus not able to lift heavier or more reps or more duration in isometrical, the next workout, maybe you are not recovered. So day to day, I would say that um, you can use soreness uh, as a guide. Soreness is not clear indication of strength. We know that already. But it can give you a good general indication of whether you are doing too much or not enough. If you are always sore, you all have increased muscle tone, multiple muscle groups, most day of the week, you are probably on the doing too much side of things. If you are never sore, you know, you're always fresh, maybe too fresh, you're probably erring on the side of not doing too much. So you can start, you know, placing yourself on that scale to understand how am I, how is my stress management? How am I, how, how is my recovery? And uh, possibly, eventually, if you'll be playing too much on that always sore, always achy side, the tendonitis, the pains will start building up. Those are the more glaring symptoms. Okay, that makes a lot of sense about how not to push it too much. Because I think from what I've heard, uh, uh, you know, I hear a lot of people mentioning uh, about the forearm pain, um, the little injuries mounting up. Um, and almost com- becoming worse till they can't train. That's what I hear more commonly than, you know, um, than people saying, oh, yeah, I'm not motivated. But that probably comes into it. There, there are a lot of times um, throughout your journey where you're not going to be motivated to train and you don't want to go to the gym, etc. But going back to when you were talking about the strength principles and progressive overload, um, you also mentioned compound movements. So, um uh, movements that are using multiple muscle groups and training multiple muscle groups at the same time. You mentioned about lifting the heaviest weight and building muscle. So I'm focusing on the building muscle part. Um, do you prioritize building muscle um, when you're trying to target strength? Because I know a lot of people kind of, you know, almost ignore building muscle. Like, oh, I just want to get stronger. I don't want to get bigger. I only care about getting stronger. Like, do you think um, it's more beneficial to kind of build the muscle and you should focus on that um, period? Yeah, what's your philosophy on building muscle when you want to get stronger? Mm. So I believe that as strength athletes, uh, hypertrophy, the addition of uh, lean body tissue muscle mass, um should be mainly a byproduct of training your main movements, okay, your your push-ups, your dips, your your chin-ups, your planches. And uh, so it's more of an outcome of training. Um, but um, what you usually see is that if you take gymnasts, for example, if you study them, the strongest uh, gymnasts are the most jacked amongst the different gymnasts. So you have different apparatuses. The most jack gymnasts are always those that are on the rings, the strength-oriented gymnasts. Uh, and they are the, relatively to gymnasts, they are heavier, they are, have more muscle mass, and I believe that people still have that uh, relative strength myth, myth in their mind, like, I don't want to get muscle-bound. I will get too heavy, uh, I will become weak. It will be harder for me to lift my own body weight. But then again, 
your muscle mass, the muscle mass that you added by practicing the chin-ups, the push-ups, the dips, it is only there as a response to your training. Therefore, it must be positive. Otherwise, it wouldn't have occurred. That's your body's way of responding to the stimulus. So he wants to, you know, pad, you want to pad yourself up towards your next event, your next competition, <laughs> your next training session. I, I always think yeah. when I'm on the rings and doing hard stuff, I'm thinking about, I want like a shield. I want to be padded. You want, I want to bring that and that and back. And all, I want to be padded, shielded towards the wall. And so to feel safe almost and bring as many, as much muscle mass as I can to the table. So um, you, by practicing the movements, you will also build muscle and building muscle is a positive uh, mechanism. It's one of the, it's the primary actually mechanism of getting stronger. And so you should uh, promote building muscle. And maybe if you were to look the other way around and try to reverse engineer it too much, that's where the message gets uh, misled. So I will get the bicep bigger so I can chin up more. But most people's problems are you're not chinning up, you're not doing enough chin-ups. Maybe get, you know, bigger by actually doing the main compound movements. So maybe reverse engineering doesn't work. And that's where people maybe make a mistake. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I think you've said a lot there that I completely agree with, especially about the gymnasts. This is what I, I really say on my channel is that um, the building muscle part is a, a portion of the equation that is strength. Um, it does go into it. You can, you know, not focus on it. Um, and you'll just gain it as a byproduct, as you said, but it is still a component of it. So if you do increase it, you are likely to increase strength also. Um, but that is dependent on how you're training. If you're training in the rep ranges and with the specificity for the movements you want to get better at, then, well, you, you probably will and likely get stronger and bigger. But um, and I've seen a lot of people that, um, you know, you know, maybe they maybe they're trying to build their base, but they're saying that they want to focus only on handstand push-ups um, and getting to, you know, 15 reps before they train planche, um, which I can kind of see where they're coming from in terms of want to build the foundation in the shoulders. Um, but at the same time, um, I'm kind of, I kind of tell them, oh, well, there are other aspects of the, the skill that are specific to the skill. For, for example, the wrist mobility, um, tendon strength which you're not um, specifically the straight arm strength you're not specifically targeting by just doing the handstand push-ups so you will need to build those bases as well if you do want planche so um yeah I, like i i do agree with that and and kind of focusing in on specificity as well as um as building muscle which is not not a downside you know being padded being armored you know yeah That's something yeah <laughs> I, I like as well and you know you're gonna look look aesthetic as well um, which is a, a huge benefit to um, training calisthenics. Yeah. Um, okay, let, let's take it back to uh, the, the programming as well. So I was going to ask you, uh, like, how, how does someone know that overtraining? We already talked about that. So let, let's flip it on its head and say, okay, how do you know when you're recovered? 
So in terms of stress management, fatigue management, how do you know when, okay, like it's time to get back to training now? I'm pretty much recovered. Like, do you need to be fully recovered or how, how do you know? How can you really feel it? How can you tell? Yeah. Like, well, what are your thoughts on that? Mm, um, that's a good question. Um, I would say for most people, the most practical, practical recommendation is to actually follow uh, already a proven program. Um, so you have some common training splits uh, and you have some uh, general recommendations of, on how many training days, how much volume to do per exercise and start with, yes, something that is quite uh, a generic, maybe a template you picked up and then Try that and see how your body responds because I feel that a lot of people really try to, you know, make it their own way, but you have to all, almost you learn it by others before you make it your own. So I would say that, you know, go the other way around, start, start a program that is already proven and there is a lot of knowledge out there and test it. And uh, if you make progress, if you continuously make progress, you are recovered. Don't worry about it. If you weren't recovered, you wouldn't be able to do more reps or more weight or just progressively overload. And as long as you, you know, you're making progress, don't change it. So, don't think about it. Also, it it's not, you know, being recovered or what's the optimal volume, what's the op- optimal intensity. It's not like a single uh, exact number that will be true for you. We know that it is individual, but more than that, it will fluctuate depending on the exercise that you are doing and also other stress factors from your life. So it's not, there's not, there's no number. You can't, you can't really uh, grasp your, yourself around a specific number. Um, it fluctuates all the time. So you should, you know, you should train, pick up a, a program, see if you make progress and don't overthink it. Okay. That's, that sounds simple enough. I don't think I have any more to say there. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, in my experience, it's been starting off with the classic three times a week. Um, this is generally when I was doing just more weights. And then when I went to calisthenics, I did the same thing. I threw, threw in a few more exercises during my weight training days. And then slowly I progressed to just strictly doing calisthenics as I had that base. Um, started with just three days a week. I could recover from that and made good progress. When the stimulus wasn't enough from the three days a week, then I increased it. So it was more about going off my progress and, you know, of course, like the other stresses. So how so am I? Um, how much sleep am I getting? Um, am I fully recovered for the next session and can progressively overload and push harder for the next sort of cycle of training? Um, can I keep pushing harder over the long term? And if I am, I, I kind of keep it as it is. I'm making good progress. And once um, I feel like I need a bit more in there, then I start adding either the more sets, the more volume, or maybe the extra day, depending on what it is. So um, I think intuitive training, writing stuff down, um, 
so okay what am i starting at okay maybe i'm going to start with three days um this many sets for this exercise i'm going to hit this this many days and then track it as soon as you feel like you can kind of go to the next level you don't want to hit a plateau um keep progressive overloading then i kind of switched it in terms of my experience um what i've seen work for other people that seems to be generally like a good place to start and tracking as well um i don't think a lot of people I know, like they write down, okay, I did this hold for this long, for this many sets. Um, yeah. Well, what's your opinion on, on like writing stuff down in a journal or like, how do you do it? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So before answering that, so you were actually training very similar to the um, recommendation I just gave. How, how did you came up with three days a week? You probably searched it up, right? You you seeked some information online. You came up with the three days a week, and you know once you made you made progress, you stuck to the to the routine. And uh, only when you had to really start tinkering and playing around, you, you thought about adding a training day or switching or doing more exercises. Uh, so you have to start with something that is. Yeah. Or you should with something that is proven and then make it your own and spice it up. Regarding the uh, tracking training log, uh, which I also uh, spoke about and I promote generally, um, most people, they don't do it because they don't have to. That's the fact. So if you're making progress, and when I started, I didn't objectively measure everything because it worked anyway, okay? I was training quite sporadically and I was able to make progress from 10 push-ups to 12 push-ups. So it's fine, you don't track it. It's you, you're, it's sort of a minimalist approach and, and I can respect that. You're not doing something that you uh, value as unnecessary at this point in time. But there comes a point that uh, um, you in order to really answer the question of what do I need to change, how what do I do different about my training to really cause a, aggravate the response from the body, uh, you have to know what you're already doing. Okay, so it's it's like a, a game of ping pong. You have to answer the question. If you don't know what you're doing, how how do you know what to change? You don't know where to begin. So there comes a point. Uh, in a practitioner's uh, level of advancement, that would he, he will have to be, or, or she, more dialed down with the, their training, and having a routine, following a routine uh, that is structured and, and knowing exactly what, what you're doing. And then it feeds itself. Okay, then you know how many sets and, and repetitions, how many chin-ups you did previous workout. So now you know the number that you want to exceed. Today, I'm supposed to do 11 chin-ups. It's one rep more than the previous one. Then you have that boost of motivation because you have that competition within your head. And then it feeds itself. And you're more prepared towards the workout. You perform. You improve. And then you log it down. And it feeds itself. And, but most people, yeah, they don't do it because probably they don't have to. And maybe once you stop making progress, you might want to start logging your training and to have some more answers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Following on from that, I think 
you're completely right with because uh, I didn't track. I don't think many yeah. things. I was tracking my gym workouts just because I was tracking gym workouts. But in terms of skills, I didn't know like really. Oh, I wasn't tracking like oh yeah, I'm doing this many of my tucks, this many of my, um, for example, leg raises because I was trying to get my core stronger for calisthenics because you need a lot of core strength for a lot of the skills. So I wasn't. I was just kind of okay. Let me do some leg raises at the end of the workout to get stronger. Um, so yeah, I completely uh, agree with that. It's pro- probably at the beginning, you're you're not really going to have to track the the thing I see with a, a lot of people now is that they um almost continue that though. So into their intermediate stages or into their plateaus, they still don't know how much they're doing, or even they don't have a general plan. Even something they followed. Some people just started training, going to the gym, do what they feel that day, and then leave. So I've asked people, okay, they're having issues. They'll message and they'll be, I'll be like, okay, what's your current plan? Um, they don't have one. Um, how many, or what's your hold? They'll be like, oh, I'm not sure, but here's a clip. So they roundabout know, but um, they only really have clips on their phone. So this is where I'd say that I always recommend starting to write stuff down earlier. You don't need to. Um, but I'd say the earlier you get into a habit of just, okay, let me record this set. Let me record this set. Let me write this down. It's going to come in handy once you start slowing down progress, because in my experience, progress will slow down. There's probably those few people where, you know, it doesn't really slow down. Um, either they're getting that right amount of recovery or genetically, they just get that correct amount of stimulus, um, to recovery ratio, just right. But for the majority of us, it's going to slow down. Um, we're going to make progress slow down and then have to tweak some things. Maybe we start making progress from there. Um, so, yeah, that's in terms of myself and logging. Yeah, I'm fully for it. Yeah, there may be regarding the, those um, practitioners that you uh, talk to. Maybe they are approaching it uh, uh, in the Western way of training, which is, I will smash my, you know, I will smash the plants today. Or if it's bodybuilding oriented, it will be muscle groups and not movement pattern. I will smash my chest today. And, you know, what's the goal of the day? How many sets? I don't know. Smash my chest. That's the goal. And they're, they're relying on the fact that they will train enough. And then by the time they train again, that same movement pattern or muscle group, they will be recovered. So that's their way of approaching things. Whereas some programs uh, more rely on, um, um, if, if, the, if it's higher frequency, for example, you have to start navigating between the sessions because it's not smash. As, <laughs> smashing is not your general approach. It, it must be uh, much more carefully uh, managed. And uh it will work for some athletes, you know, that high intensity, every workout is a full-blown workout. And, uh, but for some, it, it won't. And you can see it. And uh, each one responds differently. You have the high intensity guys. You have the consistency guys, as I call them. You know, those who are not, they are not the fully aggravated and dominant uh, personas they are just showing up doing a certain amount of work but coming back you know they are showing up each and every time and uh, they are maybe more of the um, 
yes, there I would say the detailed oriented folks, and you have the high intensity guys, and different approaches. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably put myself in the in the detail character category of um yeah just spending like trying to break it down trying to look at all the details how should my hands be da, 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 all the little specifics that's probably me but um uh, following on from that um let's move on to the next question because we, we got so many questions as well um that i'm sure people want to know the answer to so um this is going to be a very general question because this is one i get asked a lot and it's how long should you hold a skill to progress at it? So people say, okay, I want to learn. Okay, let's say um, I want to get better at my front lever. How long should I be holding it? Should I just go to failure? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so there is use in, in different um, duration holds. Okay, there you can use three second, very short, very intense holds. And maybe practice the more advanced position and, and really intense hold, they feel different and holding something very, very difficult. You brace everything. It's different technique. But then again, you have the longer isometric holds, which also have great use. And uh, maybe they can, you know, flush some more blood and you can uh, focus more on the technique and the awareness of uh, body position. So I would say that there is good use in different um, isometric durations and, and you should probably be quite comfortable at a certain uh, body weight progression before moving on. Um, so um, don't always play in that high intensity zone and try to break through that. Um, build up to a comfortable level if we're talking about, let's say, a straddle plunge or an advanced stack plunge. Build up to a level where you're fairly strong in it before you're moving on. You don't have a lot to expect if you're not solid at, you know, this uh, relatively easier position. Um, and usually I would say, you know, each progression takes a lot of time. It will it will differ between, you know, depending on your weight, height, and background, and so on. It will, but every position takes a lot of time for the body to get fully acclimated to, and the joints to get stronger at. And it, it totally makes sense because when you think about it, for example, if you are holding a tuck planche, so the angle of your wrist to your forearm uh, is not as narrow as it would be in a straddle planche. So the wrist get gradually acclimated. You need to give it time. Um, and I remember that I, well, I liked practicing that 10 second isometric uh, hold duration. It was the sweet spot for me at that stage uh, when I started calisthenics. It was long enough, but also intense enough. And I simply built to five sets of uh, 10, 12 second uh, straddle plunge and then I could already perform the full plunge. There were no attempts about it. My body was prepared. I was strong enough. It, it was no testing. So use different isometric uh, duration holds, but you should feel very comfortable and strong and stable 
before uh, ultimately moving on. Yeah, I, I resonate with that a lot because when I started, and I think a lot of people may fall into this, when I started calisthenics, I don't have a lot of equipment um, equipment or knowledge <laughs> those two things I didn't have at the start of training calisthenics so I kind of ended up with doing a bit too much you know trying to attempt oh I want to really want to try this skill just doing attempts you know I don't have resistance bands and this is why I love resistance bands now is because I can actively train the skill I want maybe that it's the next progression or the next hardest one that I want to work towards but I can actively train in different uh, whole time ranges so I can do that five second range, three seconds, very short, high intensity, even just with a band. If I'm, if I've programmed it like that, or I can go to, okay, I've already got this skill. Let me strengthen it. Let me go to the 10, 15 seconds and hold it there with a band. But at the start, a lot of people don't have bands. So I feel like working with the progressions, it's slightly more, you have to be slightly more smart about it to make sure you know, your wrists are conditioned because you're, you have, you have to manage the full load and doing these skills without a band and with a band, they feel slightly different. Um, but depending on how you put the band as well, um, depending on how you put the band, it can be quite similar. But um, if you put the band in slightly different areas or parallettes in the slightly wrong place as well, it can kind of throw off your balance, etc. cetera. But um, yeah, training in the different rep ranges and getting benefits from training in the different whole time ranges or rep ranges. So whether it's a dynamic skill and you're working towards handstand pushups um, and you want to do pipe pushups for higher reps, um, literally how I got handstand pushups was higher reps of the elevated pipe pushups and then essentially uh, getting the handstand pushup for free. Um, similar to how you, um, you know, straddle planche, uh, five sets of 10 seconds, you essentially can full planche. Uh, yeah. I think that's the method that is really going to push people forward is kind of work on the, the base. Um, so that higher level of the of that pyramid on um, that next skill, um, it almost unlocks itself with, without really the need for spamming attempts. True. True. And also I, um, I believe that different uh, pe uh, people respond differently to training. So, you have people who enjoy more of volume. They are volume freak. Usually volume freaks have a lot of muscle mass as well. They're slightly slower twitch. So they respond better to volume uh, and they naturally gravitate towards uh, volume uh, for that reason. So they like pump work and maybe longer isometric holds or maybe sets of 10 tuck planche pushups that speaks to them. They get pumped, they get the arousal, and the high-intensity guy, he gets the arousal from doing uh, heavier stuff. So maybe ramping up and then building up to one, two, three heavy attempts, not spamming it too much, but ramping up and hitting that uh, very high-intense set, that's what gets him out of the bed. That's his arousal. So... We have that yeah. general principles that we discussed about. You should play. There's good use in different isometric uh, duration holds. And you should find like what you naturally gravitate towards. And that's where you really yeah, start becoming the more advanced or mature practitioner, as they call it. 
when you understand what works for you. 100%. And when you said um, about the, the kind of the volume freak and the high intensity kind of practitioner, yeah, two people came to mind. Uh, shout out to you guys, the Barkage and Elias Page. <laughs> Elias Page, he kind of, you know, loves the heavy bands and, uh, you know, being able to do, you know, the hardest skill. And he's being able to unlock very, very, very advanced skills, you know, training yeah. that way, doing the high volume, doing the high volume sets, warming up for a long, long time and then doing bands. And then over the weeks, he unlocks very hard skills. But, you know, the Barkage, you know, he, for him, the high intensity doing the attempts, um, so not to say attempts don't work really, if you want to call it attempts, but basically high intensity training is what he he, he basically does. And he's able to unlock, unlock skills just really by trying it and able to hold. And obviously he has a very good base. So he's not attempting skills that are way out of his um, his reach, but um, he's doing the high intensity um, and just loves that. And it's worked really well for him. So two, you know, polar opposites, but they both reached the same level um, and it's because of different ways of training that work for different people. Um, so yeah, yeah, I completely agree. But yeah, shout yeah. out to you guys. Ah, beautiful example. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought that they'd be good to bring up because literally I like, as you said that I had those two people on my mind. I was like, Oh my God, that's them. Mm. But, um, to move on to talking specifically more about beginners because um, we've already been talking about for a while. So let's talk in a bit more about the specifics for beginners, intermediates, and advanced athletes. Um, and then we'll call it there. So for absolute beginners, so let's say they you know, can barely really do push-ups. They're kind of struggling with their push-ups, you know, dips, not yet. Maybe they're working on negatives and want to get or want to get more dips. Maybe they're trying to work up to five dips, et cetera. Um, how should they be focusing on their training and what exercises should they be focusing on to really progress in the long term with calisthenics? How would you kind of say to them, okay, this is your path to success? For beginners? Absolute beginners, yeah. Like work just trying to work on push-ups and dips and pull-ups. Okay, so I would uh, recommend for beginners if you're starting from scratch to uh, Usually, uh, find what works for you. Uh, I mean that by that, what helps you build the habit? Because a lot of beginners, they they see the already the coaches, the more advanced, the more built, uh, and they want to be there. And I would say your best way of getting there is focusing on how can you build the habit so you can sustain it. So. Um, focus on building the habit and almost disregard exercises, reps, and sets. Okay? Build the habit. If, if, if your thing is doing, you know, be, before breakfast, lunch, and dinner, a set of uh, leg raises and push-ups, so do that. I don't mind really. If your thing is doing like, two uh, long sessions, build the habit. Okay? It takes a few weeks. Build the habit, focus on that. Now, once you build the habit of training, from that, that's uh, beginners from scratch. I would say that always, you should always focus on keeping things as simple as possible. You don't want to actually complicate stuff. You should save your heavy guns for later. 
when things get more complicated. And so if you want to improve in the dips, just do dips. If you want to improve in the chin-ups, do chin-ups. Don't overcomplicate it. That's the specificity that we discussed about. And yeah, and I would say that's what you should focus on and, you know, keep it, keep it simple and um, it will work. You're a beginner. It, it should work. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so what I'm hearing is not really nailing down rep sets times a week. It's more about the habit and the consistency around training um, and um, just recovering because you're a beginner. You're going to make progress as long as you somewhat push yourself, you somewhat learn the technique for the skills correctly um, and, you know, take it slow, don't get injured. Uh, you're going to make progress. Uh, that I, I think that, that that pretty much that pretty much covers yeah. um, a lot about what beginners should focus on. Um, are there any specific exercises that absolute beginners, so they can't do much? Maybe they're working on push-ups and and dips. Are there exercises they should focus on, or generally, generally everything? You know, kind of a bit of core, a bit of back. Um, squats, chin-ups, rows. Push-ups, um, and uh, you can focus on uh, building the handstand, which will also give you a lot of overhead strength. Uh, but either way, push-up and overhead pressing, um, or handstand, and you should do squats, um, or if you have access to deadlifts as well. Um, that's not calisthenics per se. Uh, squats can be completely, you know, uh, stimulated by your own body weight. Uh, you can do shrimp squat, pistol squat, uh, very, very advanced exercises. And uh, push-ups, rows, and chin-ups. So you want to, you know, engage full body, all muscle groups, uh, vertical and horizontal push and pull. And then you have lower body knee dominant and lower body hip dominant movements and that's that comes up to six exercises that's your base perfect perfect so i think that that would be a good place for beginners to start and quickly because you mentioned legs what's your opinion on calisthenics athletes and either not training legs or yeah what's your opinion on general leg training for calisthenics athletes um I do not blame calisthenics athletes for, you know, not focusing on legs. It's not as um, needed for success in the sport. Um, you, we do act, use the legs, obviously, but you, you have to, on average, get the legs much more mobile than other strength athletes, I would say. So there's a lot of work with that. I started quite stiff, so I had for years to focus on mobility to just be decent. And that's a lot of legwork for anyone who was stiff. I can tell you that. Um, I couldn't, you know, add too much strength pieces to my leg training because I was so sore from, from Jefferson cares and pancakes and my hamstrings were, were cracked all day long. Um, so I can blame them. Uh, ultimately, you know, you, you mold yourself depending on the skills and the skills are less um, 
there are more upper body dominant. That's that's fact. But I would say that the way I view it, I practice calisthenics because I, you know, not for the gimmick or for the dogma of it. I view calisthenics as a phenomenal way to build my body. And if I see another tool, another way to benefit from, I will use it. So I don't care, you know, the name it has, whether it's barbell or dumbbell or, or pull-up bar or rings. I will use it. And that's where, you know, leg training for me comes. And, uh, you know, I can, I can do some squats. I can do deadlifts. I can do Olympic lifting. And, and I would say that if you view, which is generally a healthy way to view training as you're not professional athlete. You're, you're not get your career is not, you know, getting paid by the performance. So maybe if you will, if you were a completely professional athlete, I I will get that, you know, standpoint, but we train for life to generally be healthy, to enjoy our body and uh, neglecting half of the body, the stronger half actually, and the more athletic half of our body doesn't make sense. So I would recommend to um, at least train once a week. Once a week, have a dedicated leg session. It's fine. You can focus more on the upper body and not neglect leg training altogether. Do some squats. You you can do some Nordic curls for the hamstring. And you can do some explosive jumps, vertical jumps, bound jumps for more explosiveness. Sprints, they are a phenomenal way with just body weight to train your uh, leg training. And it's fine that you're not focused on it, but neglecting it altogether doesn't make uh, that much sense for me from a lifespan, quality of life standpoint. Yeah, I, I agree. I have the pretty much the, the same opinion. Um, for me, the main thing is I feel like you do use components of your legs, obviously, in a lot of these compound movements. Uh, the handstand, what are you doing in the lower body? You're keeping tension there. You're not leaving the legs loose. There's tension there. Although it's not very you know, high-intensity strength, you do need some mind-muscle connection to that body part. And generally, doing you know the squats, the, even if it's pistol squats or weight squats, whatever it is, having that mind-muscle connections to what your quads are doing, Building the strength in the glutes. That's a lot of guys, you know, that when they come to learning the straddle planche, you know, they're, they're weak in the glutes because, especially straddling and trying to activate your glutes, it's quite hard. Us as guys, we're not usually doing, you know, booty workouts and all the glute kickbacks. So the glutes, are, you know, really, it feels weird. You can't really feel the activation of glutes. This is what, you know, powerlifters even have this kind of issue with activation of glutes in the squat properly. So I, in my opinion, the earlier you kind of get used to activating these parts of your body, not necessarily, you know, building up a massive, massive squat if that isn't your goal, but just, you know, keeping it functional and keeping the mind-muscle connection there. So when you need it for some of these full body movements, because in the front lever, I'm squeezing my glutes as hard as I can to keep my hips up. Personally, I'm squeezing my core and the glutes to really give me that lift um, and you know, like if I never trained legs, I think I would have found that a lot, lot harder. Um, and especially when it comes to learning skills 
straddled like the straddle planche um and and even in the handstand squeezing the quad so uh, yeah i agree with you there like you said uh keeping it functional mm-hmm. i like it keeping it keeping it functional yeah yeah that's my philosophy on it you, you know maybe not you know super heavy but keep it functional keep the the mind muscle connection at least be able to flex your glutes now and again <laughs> yeah but um moving on to intermediates so generally for intermediates so for, for beginners just generally build the habit keep consistent don't get injured learn the the movement pattern and um you have you mentioned all those uh the you know you said uh, horizontal pushing and on horizontal pulling like the rows and and the vertical pushing like the the military press or whatever it is handstands but for intermediates let's say that they've got um you know the fundamentals they've got their push-ups they've got their pull-ups um at least a couple reps maybe not their maybe not loads but they they've got it and they want to start progressing towards um the static skills or even maybe some of the harder dynamic skills uh, how would you suggest they go ra- about doing that what would be the method there okay so whenever you say beginners intermediate advanced elites however you want to phrase it i think about what really differentiates between those different level of advancement and what is the maybe the most common problem in each level of advancement and as we discussed in beginners it's actually training enough and building the habit when it comes to intermediate i feel that like that's the stage where you should have a routine and know you know what workout to follow and when and that's where dialing it the the, the information down becomes much more much more crucial and I would say that for intermediates, um, you should have a routine where you practice, um, let's say, twice a week each movement pattern. Uh, and because generally speaking, if you were practicing as a beginner, um, five days a week doing full body, it's fine. But now as an intermediate, you are stronger, thus you are able to to afflict more damage uh, through training, you need more recovery time. So the intermediate, they need to spread the efforts. So from plunge to the next time that you will plunge, or from one-arm chin-ups to the next time that you will one-arm chin-up. It's not five days full body workouts anymore. That's where you should, you know, and be much more aware of each effort. And um, so following a, a, a wise um, training split, and um, yeah, that's that's a good just recommendation I would give to intermediates, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we're talking gen- generalities here. Um, because yeah, there, there's, obviously this is just going to be general advice because... We don't, we don't know people's specific goals. Maybe some people have a sport on the side they're doing, or, you know, maybe some people have a very hectic day job where they're already lifting, they're doing labor work. So obviously we're speaking in generalities here. Um, but yeah, what I'm hearing is start building together that routine, um, learning how your body specifically works, 
carry on the progressive overload and you, you may need to change your chain, your training split to something um, maybe slightly more intense or, or, or more volume, depending on, on what it is. If you were doing full body before, you know, you might have to split. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's great advice for beginners. Um, and yet, I was going to also ask you the common issue you see with intermediates, but um, it sounds like you, you already mentioned that um, as well. Um, is there any other advice you sort of give to intermediates? Um, yeah, in, in okay, general, so is there anything different with the exercise selection or something? Um, for intermediates, um, I would say, so as an intermediate, each um, workout will be harder. Each effort will be more intense. Your work capacity is bigger. So you maybe what was your full workout as a beginner now is only your warm-up. Warm up with a set of few sets of push-ups and rows, and uh, so each workout is longer, more intense. Thus, the recovery time between similar effort should be uh, longer. Uh, you should spread the uh, the sessions of the same kind more apart, and that's for the intermediate. Um, it is always a wise idea to focus on basics. I always practice basics, even as what I can say is a more uh, advanced, advanced practitioner as I am. And uh, there is always place for the basics. It's just, you know, how do you structure them? Maybe for the beginner, that's the full realm of the workout. And for me, that's more complementary of the skills. As an intermediate, you should focus on mostly uh, what I call the A-level skills. So in gymnastics, you have the code of points. Um, it's the book uh, where you actually get value depending on the difficulty. And the A-level skill, that's the base for, for a gymnast. And we, we took some skills from calisthenics and we took some skills uh, from uh, gymnastics. You have the press to handstand, freestanding handstand push-up, one-arm chin-up which is not originally in the code of points, but I took it from calisthenics. One arm chin up, uh, you have the back lever, straddle plunge, full front lever. So that's a wide base of skills that are still um, relatively general. They will have carryover to a lot of different activities and exercises um, and highly, highly beneficial to work on. So that's a solid uh, you know, um, that's where the, let's say, straight arm, bent arm splits came from. You have the one arm chin up, handstand push up, and you have the plunge front lever. So that's the base skills that intermediate should focus on. And that will take a few, few years, uh, a few good years. And, um, yeah, and just grind, chip away one day at a time, one workout at a time, one week at a time. And, and that's what should, intermediate should focus on and i would say yeah you can compete with your strength anyone will feel stronger maybe one arm chin up is your thing you're you're a pool guy and plunge will be difficult but always devote some resources to you know all the elements at this stage at least on the a level skill don't start specializing too much i only do that no 
Keep it general, keep it wide. That's the base. It's the most rewarding skills as well. Focus on them and uh, work on your weaknesses as well. More that you would want to start playing around with um, that you know of. Um, it's the same. It's always the, the same, um, you know, base of strength training principles that you will uh, play with. It's more of, um, you know, the, how, how you, what's the recipe at your stage, what you should focus more on. And um, uh, for example, I feel that as you become more advanced, you should all, almost put more attention in your recovery. Like, okay, if you're already at this stage, you probably train hard enough. You need to like uh, focus more on your, um, you know, where you have still more margin of improvement. So even coming back to our weaknesses as a more advanced practitioner, um, you, you are more aware of your weaknesses. You have glaring holes in your game, uh, triceps, biceps, I don't know. You're weak in, in pulling relatively to pushing. And that will ultimately give you a hard time progressing through that. And that's the already, that's the notion behind building the base uh, to begin with. It, building the base is not, because nowadays it's very common to say build the foundation. It, it's almost like, you know, this phrase gets, uh, it is out there already, but it is, the idea is that you can build the other harder variations on top of that harder skill. Like you wouldn't know really uh, by the time that you will want to train the Maltese, maybe that your, your, your bicep is a weakness. Uh, if you worked on the general A-level skills, you will, you will be ready. You will be prepared to more, more advanced stuff. And it really in calisthenic, it's difficult because we always change exercises as a means of progressing from planche to Maltese. And so it's really difficult to know what you should focus on. Um, but more for the intermediates, it's the same, uh, it's the same strength principles. Um, I think that uh, intermediates, like I said, they have more work capacity. They, they are stronger. They are able to afflict more damage. They should focus on really straining each session, training hard, but also then you need to spread your efforts. So maybe doing the same stuff four times a week, it will not work for the intermediate at this stage. So that's maybe the time that for a beginner, you wouldn't really worry about recovering too much. Okay. Not at this stage. Now as an intermediate, you have to bring that more into the table. Train hard, but also then recover. And so it's the, it's the focus, but it's the same strength uh, principle. And, and actually, when you really dial it down, we always end up, regardless of the sport, with, with the same core principles that are true. Yeah. And just on that point about uh, beginners and intermediates and the recovery, yeah, a lot of people don't know, but like when you're a beginner, everything's new. Everything's a new stimulus. So really, you don't need to do much to progress. And you, 
because of that as well, you don't need to, you will get tired quickly, you know, doing your sets of pushups as a beginner, when you first started out with pushups, you know, the struggle doing planks when you started or, or whatever, um, sit-ups, you're going to get tired quickly. And just that is enough. And you, you can recover fast enough as a beginner. So you can actually do quite a lot in a week, which is why a lot of the full body, um, workouts kind of work a lot uh, very well for beginners but then uh, as you progress to the intermediates and things are getting a little bit more complex and a bit more in terms of intensity um and you're you're working with harder compound movements or or because of the progressive overload you're weighting it um you're doing the, the weighted squats and the weighted um pull-ups now potentially if, if you're even at that stage or just increasing the reps of pull-ups um then the recovery you're going to need a lot more, which is a why I really like you kind of stressing that point about the recovery when you're getting to intermediate, because yeah, I feel like with intermediate and advanced, the recovery becomes a, a lot of a bigger part of the puzzle of getting stronger. When people think, Oh, it's, I, I need to do more when sometimes it's, I need to do more sleeping, <laughs> <laughs> more training. Yeah. <laughs> We're going on to the uh, advanced athletes now. We'll finish off with that. So I think before you mentioned for advanced athletes, you mentioned you mentioned something. But if there's any tips for the advanced athletes, I think it may it was about the basics. Um, you, you said uh, you're still an advanced practitioner, at least but I think so, and I think in your opinion as well. You have, I think you're quite advanced. I, I've seen you, you've worked on, on like the Maltese and some of the planche presses and some of these advanced ring skills as well. Um, for advanced athletes, what are your general tips or things you think advanced athletes miss a lot of the time, which could help them improve that last, you know, five ten percent? Okay, so. Um, as you progress, um, again, you can always derive the, um, my, my recommendation from, it's the same um, reasoning behind what we discussed with the stress recovery adaptation uh, process. As an advanced, um, you, you should really, you lower the frequency of the, um, let's say, hard ring stuff that you do. Most of my work at this stage is outside of the rings. So whenever I hit the rings, I'm fully prepared. It's infrequent. It's lower frequency at this stage. It's like competition. Okay, so I have a competition on the rings once a week. Then the rest of the week, it's to complement that. So I think about my mindset is how can I improve towards the rings without actually doing the hard stuff, which are, you know, the Maltese, the, 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 the plunge process and so on. Those are the hardest to recover from, okay? Let's say from on the elbows, on the shoulders, those are the heaviest to recover from. So you perform it low, low frequency now, once or twice a week, actually. Uh, but that's not the, the full training regime. Throughout the week, I think about how can I prepare for that? What can I do to improve my plunge at this stage? Whenever I hit the plunge, it's high intensity. It's very hard. A lot of recovery time is needed. So I do all the other stuff. I do more of the accessories. I do more of the um, just joint conditioning. Uh, and that's 
maybe that's where you bring more of the other stuff into the game. If we talked about beginners, you know, just specificity, doing the compound movements, the, and then, you know, as an intermediate, you do the A-level skills, it's still broad. And right now you have your few selected skills that you focus on, and then all the rest of the stuff, and they should complement and not take away. So when I do, let's say, okay, I isolate the biceps, triceps, and I do, um, you know, I walk my back to stabilize for the Maltese and so on. I, I don't think about, you know, hitting my biceps one repetition, max weight. I think about saving my joints for the Maltese. So I will do higher repetition. Okay, I want, I want to support the high intensity activity. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I like the idea of even, especially the joints that break. So you, you have them ready for the Maltese because I know myself, I'm learning the iron cross and training for it at the moment. And the first thing to kind of really feel it is not really my muscles, although they are sometimes sore depending on what exercises I do, but really it's like the tendons, the elbow, the elbow. Yeah. you know, some of the, sh- the shoulders. I know you know this because I've seen some of what you're doing for training for it as well. Um, and it's good. You have that base in some of the muscles, but you know, in the tendons still, it's, it's a lot. So I like the approach of having that competition with the rings. Um, but my, my question might be for that is, um, I guess there's a balance there between the specificity and building the base. So like compared to doing the rings, maybe three times a week and, and, you know, having accessories after you do the rings, um, because of that, the specificity, I, I guess you could argue, is more there because you're spending more time on the rings. Um, how we, yeah, what, what's your opinion on that? Or why would you move towards one times a week on the rings and then the rest of the time preparing for it compared to, you know, three times a week on the rings and some six uh, accessories after that, trying not to overdo it, of course? Uh, which one and what, why do you gravitate towards the one times a week, if that makes sense? Yeah, more, of the, more of the results uh, I see um, are reliant on my weakest links. So I'm, you, I'm highly limited by my weakest link. And if that will be, um, I don't know, if it will be the bicep tendon. Let's say you are working for the iron course. It will usually, you, you will need to build up that tendon that is here, the bicep tendon, also just general bicep strength, distal bicep strength. That is your weakest link. And so you will need to, you, doing high-frequency high iron core stuff, you can only, your elbows, your bicep tendon can all, all it can only take so much toll before you will overtrain it, especially the joint stuff. Um, so you lower the frequency with those type of sessions on the rings. But then again, there's a lot of other stuff that you can do towards the iron cross to build beyond the aspect of the 
uh, bicep tendon. You can, you know, you can build the lats, you can build the, the chest to all that, uh, do other exercises. Um, and that's where I feel that you just have the weakest links that are more apparent. And those are the ones that uh, are limiting you from, from uh, actually performing better. Whereas beforehand, it was, you know, everything was a weak link. So everything is weak. You have no glaring weaknesses. So you, you just bring more focus towards your weaknesses and less focus on the uh, big compound stuff. That's where the, the lower frequency comes from. And also, I think about how can I put less mileage on my body? Okay, what is mileage on my body? So iron cross takes a toll for my body. How can I, you know, change the variation? How can I improve towards the iron cross without training it specifically? How can I, which muscle groups, which exercises do I strengthen to be able to keep performing the iron cross a decade from now, two decades from now, three decades from now? Okay, because I'm already 30 years old and it's not, you know, you think about the, the longevity in the sport much more and um, just doing the, the actual iron cross, the actual skill, your wear and tear is, is much, much higher. So I think about, you know, I lower the frequency with the iron cross and I think about how can I improve towards it by the next time that I hit it. So I lower my mileage. Yeah, what I'm hearing is, yeah, as essentially you still want to indirectly train the skills. So the specificity is still there. And I, this will probably apply to some of the intermediate skills is that when they're generally that kind of intense relatively for you, you, you don't want to risk overtraining it so much with the high frequency if you are you know of course like you could do them uh, with a band but depending on how you're training it those max effort attempts you don't want to overdo it so training it indirectly as well is another way to kind of like you s said allow some areas like the tendons to recover while you're still training the muscle to maybe support the tendons or you're slightly reducing the um it's still maybe even doing some of the straight arm movements and still training your, your tendons and the muscles and, and the connective tissue around it, but just not so intensely. Um, so I do like, I like that opinion as well. Um, and the longevity in it. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I was going to say like an, an analogy of when you're advanced, because I, I, uh, when you said, oh, like my weaknesses is what I focus on. This is something I've said on my channel for ages. I mentioned in like many videos. You said it, you said it beautifully, man. You said it beautifully. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's actually, since you love it so much, you want to keep it this way. It's not, I, I'm, you know, I'm distancing from, from the rings because I don't want, I don't like it. I hate it. No, it's actually to keep having that passion, to keep loving it. It, it comes from the, like you said, if, like the bakery example. And so, and the same thing in, in business, business and other things in life. Like you have a, you have a rest day, you have the weekend off. 
so you can actually enjoy the rest of the week following uh, doing your, the stuff that you love. Uh, that break is not from the place of not wanting to do or shouldn't be about not wanting to do something today. It should be, I will rest so I can really cherish it and value it once you come back. Yeah, so the Bodyweight Tribe, it's a huge uh, library of calisthenics and knowledge. You have calisthenics programs, tutorials, nutrition plans, everything that I really believe that a calisthenic athlete needs uh, to succeed. And uh, we have the community there. Everyone posts, uh, you know, their questions, their videos, their exercises. And so you should uh, definitely uh, check that. And uh, thank you.